Can you tell us about the menu at evening tea? <laughs> Candy for supper. <laughs> so much of that tea time menu. <laughs>
I think I can cover all this tonight. <laughs> but I'll, I'll try and pick some things that sort of clump, cluster together, maybe. Particularly ones that just about practical things. So, so some mentions of, you know, other arahants in the world could be that it's um, you know more like what we're doing right now is is the most important bit to be dealing with. So, <coughs> right, so let's see if I can look for some of these things for you. I think this is helpful. And uh, maybe, you know, just looking at some of these topics will also sort of give me suggestions of what to give talks about. So some things might come out, you know, in talks. I'm always grateful to receive anything, actually. Because I don't, can't necessarily always answer it, but at least lets me know, you know, what kind of topics, what particular issues are there for you. So I maybe I'd address it. And I give talks, so please, you know, feel free. Mm. Uh, it's one about, I think what we're doing right now at this, this time is we're just kind of entering the, the retreat. And so a lot of its most useful stuff is just, uh, you know, about like clear, clearing the ground, we might say. So, you know, so our minds get a little more steady, and uh, the very strong difficulties, you know, uh, and sense, you know, so our minds we get some sense of level ground and evenness of awareness. I'm not saying this is this is the end of the story. So there's a question here about, <coughs> you know, since mind, this natural state is free of defilements, how do it conceive of them in the first place? Um, well, all these topics, all these words are kind of, what do you mean by mind? What do you mean by natural state? <laughs> and uh, uh, I think I've referred to this thing, what I call just for the a reference point, primary, primary awareness. In other words, it's something that is before, you could call it before or somehow behind because all these are just ways of just trying to words around something behind a kind of froth of thoughts and engaged calming activities, you know, the stuff that we so identify with the chatter and the movements and the emotional pushes. And then behind that or within that or underneath that or somehow as you, as you get less hypnotized by that, you can sense something that's more open and expansive and, 
and less troubled, you know, less turbulent, and it doesn't really have a lot, doesn't have anything to say. And so, you know, this we say is a kind of, you know, a samadhi experience. You're kind of coming down, could sort of down, because it seems to be prior to, you know, when the other stuff falls away or quietens down, you go, oh, is that, why didn't I see that? So this is, um, say we call that, you know, free of defilements. It's a nat- we might say it's a natural state because it's not something that uh, we've kind of created. But it's not necessarily, it's not, comp- it's not Nibbana. Um, so it still has what are called latent tendencies. So you have different kinds of, of um, you know, let's say afflictions or distortions. And the first, most obvious is what are called defilements, which is, you know, you've got an obsession about your car or your house or your cat or, you know, something's really getting at you, like a person sniffing next to you or something like that. So you've got a, a particular topic that really gets you going. And it could be getting you going in terms of aversion or craving or something of this nature. So it's a little thing. Uh, and then, you know, within that, you might notice, so, so particular topics, you contemplate them, the point is to get away from the topic itself, such as the car or the person or whatever, to, hey, this is aversion or this is worry. So then you've got more like, it's called a hindrance, which is the more underlying stuff. Even when that is clear, when there are no hindrances present, there are what are called... Um, latent tendencies means one still has the uh, the tendency to you know the ability to get irritated you know you're not irritated right now you feel pretty cool and chilled out and wow this is great i'm really having a good time and then and somebody crashes next to you and think oh, <laughs> suddenly you know, your luminous expansive awareness is suddenly gone <laughs> so there's still a tendency latent tendency which isn't necessarily manifesting but it's still you know it's still there you can still go for things so so then really a practice when we so we're going to kind of get to this might say primary quality of, a, of, of awareness because it's a very you know you, you're then in the territory where you're looking much you're able not just to get confused by the circumstances of the present moment. You look into really more deep-rooted tendencies, which are independent of circumstances, but tend to get projected onto circumstances. So the first thing we're doing is just coming out of our circumstantial stuff, which itself is, you know, it's no mean thing to do, I and mean, it's a pretty big thing to do, isn't it? You know, to sort of to, to come to a place where you, you, you're leaving your baggage behind, as it were. But still, within that more primary natural state, there's the, the tendency to get um, irritated. Or primarily, you know, even more fundamental than the, these is these, the uh, tendency to, to identifying, to becoming something, um, to, um, you know, f- sensing this as some kind of state of being that you can have or be or, or it's a self-view. So as we cultivate more, it's that particular quality of awareness becomes much more accessible and available all the time till eventually you can kind of, it becomes very normal for that to be present for you. So you can kind of sense that 
And then when you meditate, you just go into that and you, you and um, more or less the process of relinquishing, kind of almost a gesture of the will, of just letting go of knowing, letting go of, of um, being something, letting go of finding anything, letting go of, you know, a real relinquishment. And things start to kind of melt down in some strange way, you know. So, so then it's almost, some people call it, some people say there isn't any awareness or there isn't any mind. Some people say it's a kind of awareness that's outside of our normal way of knowing things. But most people say it, it's difficult to get it in words. <laughs> but this, this quality that I've been pointed to, that's not an unconditioned Nibbana. So it's not, um, you know, so it's still in the realm of the world, in the realm of that's affected by ignorance. So, and as to where, what, where, you know, where does, it, where does ignorance come from? Even the Buddha said you can't say that. You don't know. That's what ignorance is. This, um, he couldn't say, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> But all you need to know is, is, is where it ends, where it comes from. <laughs> you don't need to figure out where it comes from. It's just, you know, it's pretty pragmatic. Saying just you don't need to know that. Just know how, you, how it ends and know that uh, whether it's ended or not. You know, don't, don't think it's ended when it hasn't ended. Because if you can still get kind of caught, fascinated, attached, you know, to anything, including awareness itself, which is subtle, um, then then there's still some tendency to cling. Mm-hmm. But you know, we we move into that because it's giving us some sense of it's inclining. In the as Ajahn Purnadama mentioned, there are things that incline are, are in the in the region in the area of Nibbana. They're kind of coming over the threshold of the of the sacred, and so non-attachment. Dispassion, letting go, relinquishment, these are all have the flavor of Nibbana. We've lessened the, um, the froth and the, and the, and the, the fog. Mm. So it perhaps just helps to clarify what I'm pointing to. Um, and there's various things to do, problematic. Aversion to oneself and guilt, which had all proportion to anything I've ever done. Undermines the faith in the practice. Is it beneficial to focus for a time around a theme such as friendliness or forgiveness towards oneself to weaken the power of these mind states? Or is it just another way of trying too hard to fix a problem? Definitely feels like a problem. So, you know, I, this is not unusual, incidentally. <laughs> That's why I read it out, because it's not just a, many people have this kind of uh, experience. Now, it doesn't feel safe to be in my body most of the time. Um, therapy, body work, helpful. Can practice help me to be grounded and embodied and not just in my head? Long-standing mild depression is a 
pervasive mind habit. Uh, it blocks joy and penetrates contentment. Only external conditions seem to temporarily lift the heart at all. Any practice objects suggested to incline them more towards lightness. Then speaking of awakening the body and enlisting its underrated natural intelligence for while also giving the mind a well-deserved rest. Please say, how far can the body itself take us with out all the help, without all the help of the boss upstairs. So, yeah, I think with these questions, see there are lots of of you know, strong negative syndromes that people can experience: you know, depression, guilt, aversion, um, flat hip mind states. Um, <clears throat> I think I have referred to or touching touched on this what I call the inner tyrant, which um, seems such a, a common theme that I think it should be a sort of standard uh, you know, topic for dumb discussion because it seems to be such a in. Uh, innate part of what people experience, something that really negative feeling towards themselves, um, difficult negative feeling towards themselves. And the, the unusual thing about it is that, by and large, the um, Asian teachers don't seem to know much about this. They don't seem to experience it very much. Um, you know, so had some quite renowned Buddhist masters and people have asked them this question, they say, you don't like us? Why, why do you do that? You know? <laughs> why do you dislike yourself? What, what is it, you know, as if you've got some choice in the matter. So, um, and so I, I would say there's a lot of this is, is old karma, that is, that is you get um, a certain um, basis uh, one is that one doesn't have, really have a, a very firm ground of ex- being welcomed or accepted at a level of of being. You know. So we might say, we say, what do you mean by level of being? I mean, basically, there you are, sentient creature born. Okay, you know that's fine. You're okay. You know, and then then you're, you're accepted and welcomed in that very early state. You don't have to be, it's not beyond be about being good. It's not good and bad are above that. It's beneath good and bad. It's just basically you're okay, you're, you're welcomed. You know? And um, so, so this is kind of sense in which a person often feels they have to do something in order to be good enough. At a very fundamental level, to be okay, to be acceptable, to be in public, to be contact with others, you've got to do something to be bright or intelligent or useful or um, quiet or polite or nice or pretty or something or the other. This kind of driven sense 
And that driven sense then gets fired up with lots of activities. And we live in quite a competitive social world where schooling is, you know, you've got to get better grades. And then sport, you've got to get better at it. You have teams, competitive teams. And then, you you know, competitions on, you know, all kinds of things. Who can drive fastest, who can have the most lovers, who can dress the smartest, who can... You know, so it's all quite performance-driven, both in terms of even um, pastimes and sports and uh, things of this nature. So all the all the time, the message is that you've got to be more than more than you are naturally. You know, so and so eventually, the system just starts to conk out, <laughs> uh, and we so we haven't been able to just sort of bottom say where I am without being anything, winning anything, doing anything, it's okay, you know, it's it's okay. I've got a place here in the world. And something that that, that then, you know, because of that, we don't really touch the ground in ourselves. We're always up in our heads or in these kind of rather charged, nervously charged situations of trying to and then all the kind of complications that get out of it come around with that. Then you get tired of trying too hard, so you get kind of sag, and then you feel you can't make it, and you get depressed, and then the whole energy system starts to kind of collapse, and then and you feel bad about being depressed, and it's, you're a failure if you're depressed, and you shouldn't be depressed, you should be other than that. <laughs> so whatever it is, you shouldn't be it. You should be either more of it or less than it than it is. So... This is a kind of tyrant um, situation because whatever, wherever you are, you should be other than that. You should be bigger, stronger, better, faster, happier, quicker, longer lasting, more reliable, loyaler, more relaxed and more happy and cheerful, bright, enlightened too. You know, so anyway, it's impossible. And the bar, you keep raising the bar, whatever you come into. So you come to something like meditation, which is, oh, wow, great meditation, you know, chill out peaceful place, you know, nobody's hassling you, um, plenty of time, nothing much to do. Wow, it sounds a breeze, it really should be easy, you know, to sit there, nothing to do all day, sit back, enjoy it, you know, just breathing in and breathing out, you don't need to do that if you don't want to. Um, <laughs> nobody's giving you any, any, any guff, you know, You're, nobody's getting on your case about anything. Wow, what a great scene, oh, it's hell. <laughs> you know, I've got to try and straighten my mind out and get concentrated. Who said that? Who said that? Nobody said that, did they? You know, you may hear a few messages and the, the tyrant twists it round. So you think, get some message, you should be this, that, this. You're just left in this, the grip of this thing. So, so that it... it um, Continually twists everything up. So I think there are, you know, two two fundamental pathways for for for, for, for Buddhist practice. Is one is towards just samadhi, where there's a collectedness, where you get really sort of nice, clear, steady attention. It just starts, to, and it's really like a, I think it's a lot of it's body stuff. You really get a feeling of deepening into 
the simplicity of the body. Just leave all that rubbish alone. Just kind of simplify it into your body. Just the sense of the body sitting here. Earth element. You know, really find something you can do. And, uh, and just deepen your appreciation, enjoyment of doing that. Even just walking up and down. There's something you can just stand there, sit there. Something you can do and just deepen the ability to enjoy and um, be with that. The other one is more to do with qualities of heart, such as compassion and kindness. That's a standard model, but a tyrant pretty capable of twisting that up, you know, saying, well, you can't get into samadhi, you're not a really loving person anyway, and, you know, you've got to be more compassionate than you really are, you're not a very compassionate person. <laughs> so, so these things still get, can get twisted up. So, um, so sometimes I try to simplify it and just, um, you know, what, what right now is around you? you know, so when you sit here, what's around you? And then it actually deals with some very um, fundamental energy senses, like you sense yourself slightly tensed. And imagining what would it be like if right now you were completely welcomed. Just imagine what it would be like if, say, you can't imagine a person doing that, imagine your dog was looking at you. Right? You know, get it really tangible. Imagine you were sitting in a bath of hot water. What would that feel like? So you get some sense in which you could find a place where you can really get the sense it's not about doing anything or being good or deserving anything, you know, or making anything happen. Just to just to get the sense of being seen in a in a giving way. What would that be like? And then you try to feel in your body, oh, what would that be like? You know, what would that be like if the whole of your body could sit within that? Just imagine it. You know, give it some time, visualize it. So you play with these ideas. And, uh, but always it's a playful. That's why I use imagining, because it's kind of, you don't want to make it too much something heavy and intense you've got to do. Because this original sense of being welcomed and accepted comes from somebody else. You you can't become accepted. (laughs) You know, because that already is a movement towards something else, isn't it? You've got to almost remember or sense yourself right now as being accepted by something else. That's what it, that's what it comes from. You can't make yourself it. You can't do something to have it happen. You've got to, in a way, be accepted by something else. So it requires no effort, no presentation of face, no specialness is just so so fundamental and it helps to create that that piece of fundamental ground that when you have it you can't understand why why 
you know, people are so crazy. When you don't have it, you don't understand why other people don't. When you do have this, you don't understand how to, how to clear it. Because it's a, it's a very basic piece of how we form in the world. How we form in the world. You notice it maybe when you come into a room where there are other people and you feel feel something's got to be okay or, you know, is already finding some sense of disease or you come into a new situation and already you feel you're probably not going to be able to do it very well. You know, that's the first message that comes across. You start something and already something starts saying, you know, well, you should be better than this. <laughs> you know, so that, that, all that. And you've got to kind of, Sometimes it's a sense of just really letting it be exactly how it is right now. Let it falling apart and uh, being, being present with that. These are all ways you can work on it. Um, often I find that the, it's useful to, you've got to approach it from different angles, but body work does help because you know, we do, we are, we have taken a form, this body does, is here. And you can kind of come into uh, a body energy that feels bright. Particularly with things like depression. Where if you just work on the, on the, the attitudes of the psychology alone, it's almost like the tar baby. You know, as you touch it, it pulls you in. But if you start to work on the body energy, just the sinking sense that comes with depression. You, know, you feel yourself kind of caving in and you don't want to do anything and you feel it's all pointless and, you know, and it, it gradually tends towards a, a sort of paralysis. Well, before that happens, with depression, even light depression, it's good to kind of sense that, that early bit where things start to shake or you feel yourself losing something that was keeping you up and then catch your body energy, which you can do, for example, in restraining, restraining your breathing. Just check your breathing, steady, or even physical exercise, or things like yoga, qigong. So you get physical, get your physical energy system to steady. Then you've got something, some reference to a, to a buoyant or a vibrant or an alive state, even while your emotional stuff kind of sinks or sags and then you can get a kind of a sense in which you know the 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 something you know the emotional the emotional energy sort of sags but you don't get the proliferation of thoughts it's just like you're going a bit down but you don't get this whole downward spiral of um, thinking and feeling and kind of tangling up and producing these um incredible tyrant um, pathologies that can occur. It's, it's, a, it's a tough topic. Um, so you've just got to be careful that even when remedies are presented, they don't become other things that you have to get good at. <laughs> you know, because you, one then goes into the whole should be, got to make it work, Attitude. So it really is quite a light sense of being able to stay 
steady and present when things fall apart. You know, that you need some reference outside of what falls apart. What tends to fall apart is the personality state, the personality modes. But what can, and they, maybe they, they just do that, um, which isn't necessarily such a big problem, really, uh, because they will tend to form again, you know, which is steady, steady, you've got a steady body energy and steady awareness, then, you know, those personality forms can arise again. It'll always, it'll always, it'll always come back again, like every night you fall apart and you go to sleep, but you just pop up and the next morning there you are again. <laughs> so it's not a, you know, it's not a big deal. Meltdown isn't such a big deal. Or, you, you know, if you get smashed or stoned or something, it goes a bit strange. Not that I know anything about that. <laughs> so, with things like not feeling safe, these are all I- issues around being being present in, we might say, in the world or present in space. That is, you sense yourself and there's something around you and you feel unworthy or not welcome or you've got to do something or you actually feel defended, defensive. Now that's all, that's all this old, kind of old karma of, you know, not, not being welcomed or accepted and always trying to win, you know, approval or win affection or something of that nature. Um, so it's all the, the same issue and you've got to get it, really start very, very basic, you know, uh, really understand that that pattern, you know, really know what that is. That's a help. It doesn't by any means cure it, but at least you can, oh, there it is, okay. I have this tendency towards depression and, um, you know, collapse. So it's just, it's a tendency. And other people have this. It's not uncommon by any means. So there it is. It's just the particular thing that happens, you know, it comes through. Okay, so you can sense it there. Now, is there something there that's not doing that? You know, we might really feel, you know, your spine, your feet, or your hands, or your breathing, and you check it, and you hold it. You've got something that, that gives you a, a handhold when other things seem uh, afflicted. And then the awareness that attends to those healthy characteristics, we all have something, otherwise we wouldn't be here. You know, believe me, people do kill themselves. It's not, suicide is not that, un, is, is, you know, people do this when they just can't bear it anymore. Um, so we have enough that makes us kind of have difficult time, but yet still there's enough fundamental presence and well-being and to find out where that is. Stay with that. Very simple thing. You know, really simple body posture, breathing in and breathing out, standing, sitting, and then just sort of let yourself stay with that. And don't be tempted to try and fix, solve, become, develop, understand anything. <laughs> stay with that. You know? Stay with that. You, then you, you'll be all right, you know. And gradually, because we have a natural inclination towards health and well-being, so you stay with that, it will 
spread. It will, it will gradually feel confident. You've got a refuge place. You know that little piece where you're safe and comfortable. You stay with that, it will grow. It will spread. And that, that syndrome will certainly come again and again and again many times, but it will gradually bite less deep until you know it for what it is. And it's just uh, sometimes these things you have to live with for a lifetime. But they don't have to take hold. They don't have to capture you. It's a bit like, you know, you've got a limp or something like that, but you don't, you're not completely incapacitated by it. You, know? you get a lot of, you can get some wisdom from that, some discernment and some compassion. Because it's, uh, you know, this is uh, definitely a, problem for, for human beings at this time. So this is how the body can help us. You know, can help us. And uh, it's not always, you know, meditation that you need, depending on what you mean by meditation. I mean, cultivation is necessary, but it can be things like just uh, regular exercise, you know, relaxing, friendship, you know, just just changing the 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 weather, you know, coming out of that. You don't want to stay in that stuff too long. <clears throat> it's a topic that uh, you know is ongoing. I have been enveloped by feelings of contentment and well-being since the retreat began. The critical and complaining minds are strangely quiet. (laughs) There's no dissatisfactions with the present. No recriminations about the past. No fear or worries about the future. Help! What am I doing wrong? Some people you just can't help at all. <laughs> Get out of here. one know one is seeing clearly not seeing through the wily lens of delusion one question there seems to be a lot of mention about clearing the mind or having a clear mind my understanding of vipassana was more about observing what is clear or otherwise rather than trying to get something or get rid of something I feel frustration in my own practice because of this seeming contradiction Another one in a similar area, I think. <clears throat> when we witness an old pattern, say a feeling of sadness or fear, is it useful to focus the witness attention longer or just note it? So this is really to do with what's the Newman, Newmanon? <laughs> Numinous, noetic sense, the knowing or the awareness. And so, yeah. 
<coughs> well, <coughs> clearing the mind or having a clear mind <coughs> it's really to do with um, it's not you know for the first we don't start with clarity itself as an object, but just being clear about um, you know what we can witness or sense. Um, this isn't vipassana particularly, it's just uh, establishing attention so we can be clear about uh, uh, whether we feel angry or happy, sad or joyful. doesn't mean that what we're witnessing is clear. It can be confused, can, we can know that we're in a confused, fuddled state or impassioned. There's some sense of clarity about um, seeing that or witnessing that. This is um, mindfulness, it's not not vipassana as such. Um, <clears throat> just establishing mindfulness, knowing the witnessing, you know, the, the constricted mind is constricted, the mind affected by hatred is the mind affected by hatred, mind affected by doubt, and mind affected by joy. So it's that quality. And um, <clears throat> the mindfulness is definitely something to establish it's a conditioned quality, so we, it is set up. It's not that difficult to set it up. You know, it means just uh, we all have attention as a natural faculty of mind. Mind has attention as a basis. Thing always attend to something, and mindfulness is just being a bit more deliberate about attending, and uh, attending with uh, at least trying to reduce the biases that, that can be there, that we're not attending to something in order to um, you know, see something special or find something or make something out of it. We're just trying to get us the attention to just note, witness, be present with. So that we call mindfulness. Um. <coughs> yeah. And... <coughs> When you mindfulness of mind, which is probably what we're focusing mostly on in this retreat, so witness an old pattern, say a feeling of sadness or fear. So you're mindful of or of these um, sankharas or form, mental forms. Is it useful to focus the witness attention longer or just note it? <clears throat> well, it kind of depends on how strong the you know how strong the mindfulness is. So you need generally you need this mindfulness, and the other factor that goes along with it is called full awareness. So full awareness is able to you know mindfulness bears something in mind, it's almost the holding it, and full awareness samples it. You might say, how is this? When you start to notice, say, the, um, the intensities or um, the, the wavering nature of an, of an experience. So one of the faculties of clear, full awareness is to notice how things are sh- moving all the time. They're changeable. And, um, and so the very fact that one's witnessing it is changing gives, gives some kind of sense of, oh, it's... You know, it's not me, it's, it's that there, that's that thing happening, you know. So that's the beginning of the inklings of that 
what we call anatta sense. And you want to really stay in that in that area. Um, (coughs) So. For that, if that's, you know, if you, that's what you, in, you know, trying to uh, be free of that particular um, pattern, so it becomes your, your medic, you know, your object of meditation. You notice something that seems to be coming up a lot. Okay, let's. You might say, well, let's just note it and turn away because it's just, circum- you know, it's just stuff. So you get back to another object to strengthen your attention, such as your body breathing in and out, sound of silence, stillness, earth elements, whatever they are, the thing that you find most supportive to pay attention to, which is our first mode of practice. You know, pay attention, use something to build up and strengthen the quality of mindfulness and full awareness. So it becomes capable and then then uh, then meet what arises. So a certain point, which is again arbitrary and up to you, there's a sense, hey, there's some things that really are quite significant, and not just, you know, create little drifting thoughts or musings, but actually some some pretty karmically potent patterns, you know, that form me. So perhaps we could give a, a, attention to these in order to to penetrate and release them. Yeah. So then we might shift to that particular form. And the process of insight is, is when one is able to, to uh, so you know, do that, that the conditions that support those, that particular tendency, that particular pattern, that particular um, mental behavior are seen through as and relinquished. So there are certain st- stages of insight, and that we might say the way the insight deepens. And the first we might say is is the sense of being able to to stand back, and not not get involved with it. You know, we can witness it, we can be with that, and there it is. You know, you're no longer caught up in it and then the second is this dispassion where your kind of energy seems to be leaving that particular pattern it's no longer flaring and you find yourself just cooling cooling down it it almost loses some of the color comes out of that and the neuroda is when that particular thing just kind of no longer got any energy in it because all the energy is being transferred by that process into the witnessing. So, if you, you know, you, both of them require, take up some kind of energy. So, the, so what happens is the more that you're able to sustain the presence of witnessing, then that kind of, it's almost like a big river that captures the, the other river. There's a big energy in witnessing. So this is where samadhi comes in because samadhi is a gathering up of energy in a particular way. And so, you know, the two the two go together. Really, you don't you don't have vipassana without some degree of samadhi. You know, <clears throat> and it, it's as if 
you know, the energy drains from the form, formation, the sankhara, the, the particular mental pattern, drains into the witnessing till eventually that pattern just kind of, you know, withers away and you're left in a state of, of clarity and then relinquishing. Within the state of clarity, you can then um, almost sense or what what's the missing piece, what's the, the ignorance that allows that form to arise. And it's, it's always something to do with self. Yeah. And it's difficult to explain, but it's, it's something to do with our form, our self-form. Something that's been missing or not seen or not known or added. You know, Some assumption, strange assumption, that you are something, you know, or that you're not something. <laughs> yeah, and so the kind of uh, relinquishment is, you don't have to be that anymore. You don't have to be in some state of obligation or some state of need or some state of um, holding on. You know, something, something is given up. And most of this is pretty, you know, non-verbal. So you get a sense of something shifts and drops um, from that. So that's, that's the you know, penetration of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need to learn to be able to witness something and uh, without sort of getting caught in it. That's our, that's our first base. So you strengthen attention so you can witness, see something clarity, and eventually you get more equanimous about it. It's just there it is. Uh, so that's, uh, and then then it's, you've sort of tipped the balance. Energy starts to then move towards the witnessing and away from the um, the pattern. Might be one more. Mm. Just a couple on. Practice breathing just as it is, long or short, deep or shallow. Through this, I have had the experience you mentioned of a slow, steady breath accompanied by brighter energy and lighter body. I'm intrigued to explore steadying and slowing the breath intentionally. However, when I experiment with this, the breath that generally catches, tightens, or contracts a bit. I'm playing with holding it lightly, but I'm curious if you have any tips. Any more about the process of steadying and and refining the breath? And this question, could you speak more about the idea of samadhi and some practices to support that, please? So... Personally, my my own practice, as it is, of <laughs> samadhi is based around breathing because um, it seems to be the, the one the Buddha chose, and I I, I, find, I really enjoy the embodiment of that. I like it helps to ground me. I'm a bit of a heady person, so I like the kind of tangible and the embodying qualities of that. And it's a piece of um, understanding in, in all the Asian 
spiritual traditions is how the body and the, the breath and breathing and the mind go together. So pranayama, chi, and so forth. They they really um, understand this. So a lot of um, practices are about regulating the breath or um, training the breathing and even subtle breathing. So it's not necessarily air we're talking about. So you have to also bear in mind that when from that area, that cultural area, um, where the Buddha talks about breathing, he doesn't talk about breath. So there's a difference there. See, breath is very much the sort of air thing. He talks about the process of breathing. Yeah. So there, is, there are many, there are several obvious processes that occur when we breathe. First of all, the body sort of expands and the you know, tissues move around. You get that sort of boom, boom, flowing experience. You also get the pulling in and out of air, and you also get a, a, an energy change. So you breathe in, it brightens. You breathe out, it softens. You breathe in, it sharpens. You breathe out, it, it softens. So this is pretty obvious in a way. Once you once you see, it, oh yeah, of course, I, of course it does. You know. Um, so we want to be careful about the tendency to just kind of focus on a particular thing, you know, like the tip of your nose or something like that. Um, so, because what you're looking at is a process, and my own advice would be to <coughs> to recognize that all this time throughout your life, right up to the present moment, you have been breathing. This is, you know, so it's not really, uh, you know, shouldn't be an incredibly difficult quest. <laughs> if it is a difficult quest, then maybe one is approaching it the wrong way. You know, like, this is a very difficult, special thing. I've got to get samadhi out of this. So immediately you set yourself up to make it difficult. You know, it's just, it's obvious. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I since I am breathing, are you breathing? Make sure you are, you are. How do you know you're breathing? So it's like you step back and you wait. What tells you you're breathing in and breathing out? Oh yeah, there's something happening here. Okay. Anything else? Yeah, I feel a kind of pulling sensation. Okay, anything else? Yeah, when I get to the fully in breath, I feel sort of bit bright, you know, sort of brightening up. Okay, you got it. Now, just sort of tune into those, all those processes and you find the ones that feel most comfortable because for samadhi, you're looking for the, what's most comfortable and pleasant, not what's most difficult. <laughs> but what's easiest and most pleasurable. And that's uh, to remember that, you know, this is supposed to be pleasant. <laughs> The Buddha said, I advise you this because it's pleasurable, it's enjoyable. You know? and so you can kind of relax with it. And then you use it something to, you can refine the breathing by, for a start, if you have a relaxed state of mind, that actually affects your breathing. Because the breath and the breathing and the mind are interconnected. So if you're getting kind of, you know, uptight about, can I really be 
super mindful of every inhalation, every exhalation all the time. That's going to screw your breathing up for a start. <laughs> you know. So you've got to kind of come to something a bit more relaxed than that, even if it's a very great breathing or fantastic breathing. It's just you get comfortable and you catch it where you can. And the more... You, get, you know, you get like that. The less stress you place, the less anxiety you place, the less hindrances cluster in because you're not putting in that kind of self-doubt, aversion, performance, got to make it work, got to be super this, that and the other. Those are all mental energies and they will affect your breathing. You know, I've heard people say, you know, I was breathing all right until I started being mindful of it. Then I'm really starting to feel tense. <laughs> you know, you've been breathing every day of your life. And it was really all right. <laughs> then as soon as one's mindful of it, you feel <laughs> What does that tell you? <laughs> you know, what's nothing wrong with breathing, it's just your mind. <laughs> So get that, get that thing out of here, you know. Stop meditating. <laughs> Just learn how to breathe and how breathing operates. Just like you're kind of a biologist or something. You know, how does it work? And so that more you relax, then you then actually sense. Do as little as possible. Next thing. Do as little breathing as possible. Make it really easy. Uh, find out how, you know... You, Without really knowing it, you, you say, hey, I can drop my shoulders a bit more. I could relax my chest a bit more. Do as little as possible. Yeah. Rather than... <laughs> so you do as little as possible. The, that, that softening of energy also, breathing quietens down, your mind quietens down. And then see how much breathing do you really need to do. Now, you know, a lot of people have breathing over-breathe. Um, it's a sort of, it's not exactly, it's low-grade panic, which is a uh, pretty common state. You know, we live in a state of kind of low-grade manageable panic because it's always... Have you got, excuse me, just a minute, I've got to get there. Where's the car keys? Oh, well, the phone's ringing. Is it, uh, right, get out. I've forgotten what I want to do this. Is it yesterday? You know, it's like that. Good morning, you know. And then the radio's playing, and you get out the door, and oh, I forgot. So you're in this kind of state. And so in that low, in that kind of, then your breathing is, it's just coming, you know, it's only got time to get down to halfway down your chest. And it's out again, in, out. So you're breathing up here, top of the chest. Yeah? And that becomes a pattern. So you actually, though it sounds a bit controlling, you've, you've actually got to be a bit more deliberate. Say, you know, gee, could you just really breathe all the way out? You know, can, you, can you relax your belly? Because you get into in these in these low grade panic states, your whole body energy is tightened. You're tightened for 
the front, you know. You're titan for battle. You're titan for the combat in the streets. You're titan for gladiator, gladi, gladi, gladiatorial issues out on highway, you know. So you, everything's tightened up. It's not massively tightened, but it's sort of a bit tightened. And then on that tightness, there's mental stuff starts to get pushy and agitated and time-bound. So it, the whole thing is cranked up. And something you've got to be a bit deliberate about, you know, really getting down, getting down, you know, bellying out. And so I'm suggesting for a start, really try to relax your chest as much as possible so your breathing process drops and it becomes abdominal. And just play with it, play with it. Say, what would it be like to just breathe out and not breathe in. What would happen? Don't worry, you'll breathe in. You won't, you won't overcome that one. So you just breathe out and just wait. Amazing how long. Then it starts pulling. So you didn't, you didn't have to do that. It happened by itself. So you, you have to deliberately interfere with this imposed pattern that we've gone into which is a panting, shallow breath in the top of the chest, which definitely keeps the mind agitated and unsettled. So you change that and you're you're going to find that certainly it's a little weird at first maybe, a bit contrived, but you you have to do something to get out of those those locks. Mostly what we're doing is just deliberately relaxing, you know, Dropping it and the out breath and feeling it in your belly and seeing how how far down it can drop and how long it can wait before it comes in. And then even as the breath is coming in, just taking it slowly. And you can feel there's an instinct to pull it, you know. Because our time we're so hurried in everything. We talk fast, we think fast. We don't get to the end of sentences before we're on to the next one. You know, we're speedy. So just resist the the grab, resist the pull, slow it down. And after a while it will start to become normal. That's if you if you've broken the the afflictive pattern, sort of eventually comes into a steady state where that, the breathing and the mind slowed down and steadied. And then it becomes a source of joy. It becomes a source of brightness. And it's delightful. Because you can sense the brightness of that and the way it's almost like every moment is given to you. Every moment it's something bright is, is running through you. And then it becomes something you really like to be with. So this is how it, it creates a kind of what's called rapture, pleasure. And in that quality of, of rapture, your mind is not worried, it's not pushy, and you know, it, it starts to even out. Um, so <clears throat> that's so the the you know bottom line of samadhi is that um, you clear the five hindrances. So 
You know, it's a sense of the, the crabbiness, ill will, kind of bitter, crabby, cynical, negative. You know, that's not there. You feel light. The craving, the kind of hunger, you know, reaching out, that's not there. You feel, you feel satisfied. You feel nourished. Because it's a very beautiful energy. Uh, and you f- it's what you feed on, really. And your mind isn't um, dull. And it's uh, restlessness, worry, and doubt can disappear. So this is, um, this is, you know, one way of looking at the process of, of samadhi. But I do say it's worth doing some of this um, basic groundwork with it, even though it's, it's a little bit contrived. You've got to come out of these unconscious um, patterns that are controlling you. You know, it'd be fine to say don't control provided that we weren't already under control, you know, we'd been controlled by greed, hatred, and delusion. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, you know, it's infected the system. So you've got to use some simple, skillful counter measures to, to, to find a healthy pattern. A pattern we may have so lost touch with, we don't even, um, we, it's not a reference for us. Once you find that, and you get familiar with it, then it's something you know when you when you when you lost it, and you you realize you, you, know, you before you can really be sane again, you've got to come back to that that stability. And the own, only time you can really trust the mind is when it's free of the five hindrances. You know? So it's important, isn't it? So I hope this gives you some suggestions. Obviously, all kinds of attitudes you can work with, and um, but it's uh, that's what I would say for this evening. Okay, so obviously I haven't answered everything, but give you some things to, to think about if it's been useful. Let's take a few minutes break and come back for sitting. <coughs>